Hey everybody, welcome back to the Austin Police Association podcast. This is Thomas Villarreal, president of the Austin Police Association. Uh, with me today, I've got... Jessica Garner, appointed vice president. Joe Swan, vice president. Christopher Irwin, pack chair. Bob Mitchell, detective. <laughs> so we're... Uh, welcome, Bob. Uh, Thank you. We're going to get into a, a new series that, uh, that the team has come up with, where we uh, are going to dive into... Some of the units that were defunded, um, and just kind of talk about the way that life was before these units were defunded, um, kind of what happened, and and where those units stand today. And um, when when Jessica and Christopher brought this idea to me, uh, Bob, you were the the very first person that I thought about um, when you know the topic of talking about the DWI unit was brought up. And so, um, thank you, number one, for for making time to come and and hang out with us for a bit, to uh, to record this, and and I, I guess second thing I would say is you know you're a guy that was my entire time on on patrol uh, when I was a rookie. Like you were there, you were you were active, um, you were clearly active whenever we were working together when I was on highway enforcement team. Uh, on nighttime highway enforcement, and um, and then you were there after I left. So I, you know, appreciate all the all the good work. Appreciate all the advice that you gave me personally, professionally, um, and and like I said, thanks for being here with us today. And just for for those of you that may not be a police officer here at the Austin Police Department or a member of the Austin Police Association, um, I just want to point out that while yes, the Austin Police Department has restored the budget that we had prior to the defunding movement, that defunding movement has still substantially impacted our operational status, and that's in the form of staffing. And as a result, we have lost units, such as the DWI unit and many others, as you'll come to learn as we continue with this series, due to not having enough bodies to staff patrol. And um, these units are just, I cannot emphasize enough, super important. I know as a patrol officer, having the DWI unit was a massive support, um, not only for new patrol officers to be able to learn from, from these you know, subject matter experts, but also uh, to keep our roadways safe, most importantly. Yeah, I was working working overtime last night and talked to a couple of detectives that were, that were working backfill and you know, just talking about calls that, that we're taking, you know, I, I did evidence for the first time in a few, you know, a few years uh, earlier this week um, and just kind of just talking shop with, with a couple guys yesterday and, you know, the topic of DWIs came up and it's like, you've got really, really tenured folks that are being put back out into patrol and they don't have that resource. Um so we don't have that resource to to just free up patrol officers, but then on the on the back end of that, like we're putting someone who's not a subject matter expert into a position to potentially make an arrest, which is great. Like I, I think most, I, I think all cops at the Austin Police Department could do what they had to do to make a DWI arrest. That what was so awesome to watch um, was folks like you, Bob. And, and your ability to maneuver in the courtroom 
in ALRs and get convictions on people, you know, where rookie officer Thomas Villarreal would struggle through those things. So um, it's just it, yesterday's conversation for, for this podcast was just very timely, um, very interesting. Bobby, take a minute and just kind of introduce yourself to whoever's wa- uh, who are watching, whoever's <laughs> listening. Uh, you know, joke of that, it's, you know, might be just my mother, you know, might be just the, the five of us in this room. Uh, but we've been lucky enough to, to have a couple hundred people listen to, to some of our episodes up to this point. So if folks don't know you, so who I'm are Bob, you? Yeah, Bob Mitchell. I've been with APD 21 plus years. Um, and of those 21 years, uh, 16 years of my career was spent on the DWI unit. Um, I would currently still be on that unit if it existed, if it hadn't been defunded, because quite honestly, that was my bread and butter. That's where I love to be, and that's what I love to do. But when the DWI unit was defunded, um, I took a promotion test, and now I'm a burglar detective. Um, it's a step that I probably – I would have never made um, – had the unit not been defunded, because I I used to joke with people all the time that I'm going to stay in the DWI unit until I'm fired or retired, whichever one happens first. And it just so happened that neither one happened, it, yeah. that the unit got taken apart, which yeah. I never foresaw ever happen in a million years. And so it, it took me in a different direction that, quite honestly, I wasn't happy with, and I'm still not really happy with, but it's... It's something I had to do. So 16 years, you said, on the DWI unit. When, when did you go to the DWI unit? What, what year was that? 2002. And then uh, I spent... Uh, I won't make you feel like an old man, but... Well, well I am, so it's okay. You don't, need, you don't need to make me feel it. I already am. So I spent, I think, like seven years on the DWI unit, and then I left briefly. I went back to patrol for about a year and a half or so, and then I went back to the unit for about nine years. Okay. So... Uh, it was going. It was close to seventeen, but it was definitely sixteen years that I was there. And in two thousand and two, when you got to the DWI unit, like, talk us through because, you know, in my in my time here, I've I was able to see a few iterations of the DWI unit. Right, um, I I left highway enforcement when our highway our nighttime highway enforcement team that I was on was transitioned to be a third DWI team. I I, I did not want to work DWIs, and so I left back to patrol. Um, but just kind of talk through what, what that looked like on, in the early days and of, of your tenure there and like what changes you saw throughout the years. So our, our unit evolved quite a bit. So when I first went to the unit, uh, we had nine officers, uh, a corporal and a sergeant. Um, and then after I was there for maybe a couple years and then, um, the, the decision was made to expand into two units so we could have uh, more coverage. So we um, expanded. We had two teams. Each team had seven officers and then two corporals and then two sergeants. And that went on for quite a while. And then we realized that, you know what, if, if we really want to do this right, we can do seven-day coverage. Because back in those days, one team either worked Tuesday through Friday, the other one worked Wednesday through Saturday. Um, and then we expanded our unit so that um, we had three teams. So we had... Um, one team had seven officers, a second one had seven officers, and a third one had six officers with corporals and sergeants for each team. And we not only expanded the number of people we had, but then we also expanded 
what we did. So, for example, um, we implemented what we call the BAT bus, the breath alcohol testing bus, which was basically a, a mobile breath testing unit that we would station throughout the city. And it was a it was a place where anybody who made a DWI arrest would come to that bus. They would process their prisoners, turn in their paperwork, and they would really never have to go to the jail. They could pretty much come there, do their stuff, and then leave. The other good thing about that was if you had patrol officers who weren't, let's say, well-versed in DWIs or maybe had questions or needed some guidance or some advice, it was a great place to come to get that advice because those of us that were on DWI unit were there. Right. And they could pick our brains. They could learn from us. We could teach them things. But then it was also a great recruiting tool for us because then we could just watch these newer officers come in. And if you saw somebody who had talent, I would say, hey, I want you. What do I need to get you to do to come to that unit? And then from that, we even expanded to um, I became a drug recognition expert and then a drug recognition expert instructor. And we decided, you know what, if we're going to do this right – we need to have everybody on the DWI unit become a drug recognition expert because yeah. we realize that when most people think about DWIs, they think about alcohol-impaired driving, but they don't think about drug-impaired driving. Mm -hmm. And drug-impaired driving had become much more uh, prominent in our culture, but there were a lot of officers who just didn't have the training to detect that type of impairment. So we made it a mandatory deal where if you were going to be on the DWI unit, you had to be a drug recognition expert. Prior to that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but prior, no, right. prior to prior to the decision to, to have the entire unit, all three teams, uh, go to DRE school, how many DREs were we, did we have at the department? If, let's see. I think we had in the neighborhood of 10, I think, okay. at, at the time. So we probably doubled at least. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then plus not only those those 20 we had on the unit, but then we also had some that were DREs that weren't even on the DWI unit. So we definitely doubled, maybe even potentially tripled the number of DREs we had when we made it mandatory to be a DRE to be on the unit. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, Bob, so how many DWIs does 16 years get you? Like how many, how many arrests do you think you've made for DWI? So somebody decided to do the numbers <laughs> when I left because I was never a numbers guy and it was like 1,800-something DWI arrests. That, that's, yeah. How many times do you think you've done tests on people? I would always tell people I probably tested three to four times that many. Three to four times. Because um, if you – there were – I mean, I remember one night specifically. Um, I had – I did 13 – I had 13 sobriety tests that I had people do, and I didn't make a single arrest because they had all been drinking, but none of them were intoxicated. But there were other nights. There was one night when I stopped three people, I tested three people, and I arrested three people. So it just kind of um, – it just depends on how the ball rolled. But I would say – I would usually tell people that I, I arrested probably 25% of the people that I actually tested. I think that's a common misconception that always floats around out there that, like, if you get stopped and you've been drinking, you're going to jail automatically. When – Cops will tell you, and you're an expert with this, like that is not the case. Yeah, I, I used to explain that to people all the time, and they would just kind of give me a look. And then what's interesting was um, when the media would ride out with me. So um, for some reason, uh, my supervisor has always stuck the media with me. <laughs> so when the media rode out with me and I would tell them that fact, they would just kind of give me that look like, yeah, whatever. 
And then they would write out me and see that we actually tested people that we didn't arrest and it kind of opened their eyes that they were like, wow, this is, he's not just blowing smoke. He's serious about, you know, not everybody, like I tested everybody who I thought had had something to drink. If they either admitted it or I thought, or had done drugs, whatever. I tested every single one. And that's why I let a lot of people go because they may, yes, they may have only had one or two beers and one or two beers is not going to get you a DWI. That's another common misconception. So um, I tested everybody who I thought needed to be tested. And then if they weren't intoxicated, they weren't impaired, I let them go. So we had 20 officers out there every night, likely doing, give or take a couple, the same amount that you did. So they're filtering through that many people coming out of the entertainment district, coming out of these bar areas up north. And like, we're not arresting everybody, but we're still doing our due diligence to make sure that the roadways are safe. So we had 20 guys it, every night. Yeah. And, and so this is, you know, more speaking to anyone in the public that's listening, but it's one thing for, you know, for Bob, 55, what was your call sign? 5515. 5515, right? To be sitting somewhere looking for, for impaired drivers. Uh, but it's another thing, right? When when APA one keys up because I'm on a crash and I'm like, oh man, I, I'm completely comfortable handling the crash part of this. Or what was I? I was, I was HE eight oh five, I think was my call sign. You know, like, hey, I've got a I've got a potential intoxicated driver crash. Hey, Bob, can you come over here and help me with the DWI part of it? I'll handle the crash investigation part of it. And so, like, a tremendous asset for patrol as well to just get people back into service. And not only, you know, the crash portion, but, you know, there was a moment where the defunding movement was in full swing and we hadn't quite worked out how to have any DWI support because they all had different jobs now. And, you know, six month Ida 506 was responsible for intoxication assault, Um, a a felony level offense with substantial consequences. And the resources were so limited and remain so limited that you have a victim with serious bodily injury, possibly, you know, a fatality at some point, and you have your six month rookie, you know, handling that and that's just that is not the service that we want to provide this community that was one of the the things that we did on the unit is we handled anything that involved serious bodily injury death or if it was a high profile case so for example um if um if somebody that got stopped was say a celebrity um if it was a cop School bus driver. School bus driver. Yes, that was. I did one politicians. Of those. I did those. I did sports figures. I yeah, cops. So anybody who potentially could make the news, you wanted someone to conduct that investigation that knew everything about that inf- investigation that you want that they could possibly know. You didn't want somebody who really didn't know what they were doing to. Either one, let somebody go, or two, even worse, in my opinion, arrest somebody who shouldn't be arrested. Yeah. Because one of the cases that sticks out in my mind to this day was there was a fatality that myself and another DWI officer got called to, and the guy showed some signs of impairment. And um, myself and the other officer, we were both DREs, 
We went to the scene. Um, we wound up doing our investigation, and we wound up letting the guy go because it he was sleep-deprived, but he wasn't intoxicated. And the detective that was working the crash, he was just convinced. He was just shocked and dumbfounded that we didn't arrest this guy for, for intoxication manslaughter. And I told him, I said, this guy is not intoxicated. So, And I said, what's going to happen is we took his blood because he volunteered to give it. And when that blood panel comes back, I'm telling you, I, I will bet my career on it that's going to be negative. There's going to be nothing in that blood. And sure enough, when that blood panel came back, the guy had absolutely nothing in his system. That detective came back and apologized to me. And he goes, I wanted to put that guy in jail, and he was innocent. And I said, that's one of the things that people don't look at. You know, They only want to look at the people we arrest. They don't want to look at the people that where we actually let go that are innocent that shouldn't be arrested i think that's a big portion of it as well yeah it's a it's a one of the many kind of things that that unit brought to the table right was that right. just that the ability to put an expert and when i say expert like an expert police officer hours and hours of training and certifications and statewide recognition this is what uh, all of these officers, supervisors brought to the table. Yeah. Uh, I went to a 40-hour training to run an intoxilizer machine, you know, the, the the breathalyzer, right, that you blow in twice. Like, it's dummy proof. And that was 40 hours worth of training. Yeah. And I was not an expert in DWIs in the least bit. So it's the ability to bring an expert um, to the table, to these investigations, to to ensure that we get justice for victims um, to, to get intoxicated drivers off, off of the Austin streets, but also to make sure that we're, you know, not, not putting innocent folks in jail and causing folks those problems. Like it's what a tremendous loss to this community and our police department. Um, Bob, you said something earlier that, uh, that we kind of glossed over and I want to go back to it. Um, and again, this is, you know, for the community at large, like you talked about doing, you had three stops three tests and three arrests. Um, rookie officer, Bob Mitchell <laughs> in, in 19, what's that? What's 1990? What, what, what not you, quite 2001. Okay. And in, in 2001 rookie, Bob Mitchell, first DWI. H- how long did that DWI take you? Holy moly. It, <laughs> it, yeah, it took a long time for several reasons. One, there were a lot of pieces and parts to it. I remember to this day. I'll never forget it. Um, I think you... we all remember our first yeah. DUI. <laughs> and we look back thinking, my God, that yeah. took a long time. Four to five hours is how long it took me. I'll throw myself under the bus. Like I could not figure it out even with the assistance of the bad bus at the e- time. Easily. So. Having your FTO sitting next to you asking what's taking you so long. Yeah, yeah. It, took, it took me six hours. And it was in Williamson County. And my field training officer didn't really know Williamson County that well, and it was it was just a mess. And, you know, it was one of those deals where luckily, you know, she'd been drinking boxes of wine at the lake, and, you know, it was one of those ones where you could just – you could look at that person 100 yards away and said, yeah, they're drunk. It, it was an easy because she was so impaired, which another thing that I had learned, like when I first came to the DWI unit, um, if you would look at the average BAC of someone, their, their their breath sample or their blood sample, their average for me was probably like a 0.12, which I would expect the average officer to be able to detect and arrest that person. 
But what was interesting is the better I got at it and the better I was able to hone my skills, that BAC dropped. The average BAC dropped because I was able to detect those people that I know in the past I probably let go. Even though they were legally intoxicated, I didn't have the training, I didn't have the experience, I didn't have the knowledge to be able to determine that that person was intoxicated because I wasn't confident in my skills and I didn't have the skills to be able to glean from an impaired person and a non-impaired person when it got to that that lower level. Sure. So um, to be able to discern whether someone's intoxicated or not, it's just the the more training experience you had at it, the better you got at it. Yeah. And so, you know, on a night where you get three stops, test three people and arrest three folks, um, what in, in your heyday, I assume you're a little rusty now that you're uh, sitting in a cubicle investigating cases, but in, in the heyday of 5515, like what was a, just a regular, nothing, no, nothing crazy out of the ordinary. You make a stop they're impaired, like start to finish. What, what did you get that down to? Probably hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. That's, that's one vanilla, no, no hiccups, no glitches. Um, whereas that very first DWI probably took them in the neighborhood of six hours. Yeah. And, and most officers who weren't well-versed, well-trained, I would say their average DWI would probably take them three or four hours Yeah, because that's just, you know, there's a lot of paperwork to it. There's a lot to it. You, what verbiage, I mean, what goes where, there's a lot of stuff to it that, and, you know, then we started doing blood search warrants on a lot of folks and we wrote our own blood search warrants, whereas officers, then they have to get a corporal to do it. So, um, the amount of time it would take for the average officer was probably four hours. And yeah. most of us on the unit could probably do one in two hours or less. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's important to just kind of recognize the force multiplier, right? That, that a highly trained expert police officer, um, you know, deployed in the right fashion, right? Like making sure that you're not working, you know, maybe there are days where we could use a DW officer in the middle of the day, but like that unit and that, that unit's leadership, like recognizing, Hey guys, like if this is a job that you want to do, you're going to work in the two o'clock AM hour, right? Like it's, it, maybe it's not a, an eight P to six a shift, right. But it's going to be, pretty close to it right like right. um and so like yeah sometimes working evening shift hours are nice and and getting home you know at midnight is is fantastic but like i i give major props to all the officers that worked on that unit for like knowing what they signed up for and being willing to go out there and work a night shift schedule to to help keep this the streets awesome safe and I think the thing we have to remember, too, is how much time all that follow-up is required, you know? Like, Bob, you were at court all the time. I was at right. ALR, like, every couple months. Every time I'd go down there, I would see you and a plethora of the other DWI officers there. And so not only are you taking, like, you're giving officers time back during their patrol shifts to handle other calls because you're taking away these DWIs, but at the same time, you're freeing them up to where they're not having to go to court all the time. They're not having to go to license revocation hearings. They're not having to go to evidentiary hearings. Like you're just, it's such a time consuming effort to do one DWI when you don't have these 20 experts out there running them all night long. Yeah. What do you think, um, 
like post post defunding, right? Like we we joke about kind of tongue in cheek at times, right? Like the temporary suspension of a unit, like that unit's gone. Like it's it it's a shame, right, that that unit's gone. Um, I'm I'm thankful that some of the officers that previously served on the DWI unit and and got sent back to patrol that that they still go out there and do it when they can, right? Like it's I'm 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 constantly shocked that our people are, are have the ability to maintain the level of professionalism that they do. Um, it's it's very inspiring to me. Um, what what do you think we're missing right now as a result of that unit being defunded? So one of the one of the biggest things I've noticed. So there was granted there was only twenty of us, but a lot of us worked a lot of the high speed roadways, and I live in Austin, so if you drive up and down the roadways at night you'd see officers on traffic stops. You would see somebody over on the side doing sobriety tests. You would see this. I live in Austin. I don't ever see traffic stops at night, ever. Mm -hmm. One, there's not a designated highway enforcement group out there specifically, and that's what we did. We, we, we looked for intoxicated drivers. We made traffic stops. That's what we did all night long. We didn't take calls. So you don't have a designated group to do that, but now that our department is so short-staffed, no one has time to go out and do highway enforcement. So, for example, when I'm driving around at night, and I do that quite often, it's a, it's amazing to me how recklessly and fast people are driving now compared to how they did pre-defunding. Right. Because they know that there, there aren't any ramifications if they go out and they drive like fools. The, yeah. the, there's There's nothing to stop them. They're... There's no fear of arrest. There's no fear of any repercussions if they do it. So that's one of the biggest things I've noticed is just that there's no one out there that will enforce those types of things. So people are just driving so crazily and, and recklessly and without due regard for anyone, whether it's speed, whether it's lane changes, racing, or intoxication, or sometimes a mixture of all those things. Um, that and, you know, like I said, our officers are so busy that even when they're working patrol, they don't have the time to be able to go out there and make traffic stops. Yeah. I was, I was on 183 the other night um, trying to catch a car to pace it. And when I hit 100 miles an hour and this car was still pulling away from me, I was like, okay, I'm not going to drive 130 miles an hour to try to pace a car to like write a ticket that's going to get dismissed or or make an arrest that's not going to go anywhere. Like, it's just not worth the danger that I'm going to put myself into or, or you know, the, someone from the public. Like That's another thing that our unit was really good at. So since we did a, a lot of DWI enforcement, what goes hand in hand with that is a lot of vehicle pursuits and a lot of chases. And we were really, really good at it because we did it a lot. So um, the fact that, you know, you take that expertise off the road where people aren't able to drive. They don't have the ability to drive. They don't have the training to drive like that. High speeds, pursuits, um, those those things are, it's it's one of those skills that it, it can go away. It's like shooting. It's like any other skill. If, if, if you don't use that skill, it, it's perishable. 
it will go away. Mm-hmm. We were really good at those things. We, we got in pursuits a lot because drunk people like to run. You know, they do dumb things. They're not thinking straight. And so we were really good at those types of things. And it just it's a shame that, you know, you have people who had that kind of training experience and background that now are just gone because we were defunded. And we, I know that just listening to you guys on the radio or being a number two or three in your pursuits, I learned a lot, whether it was how to, you know, transmit the information that I needed to during a pursuit, whether it was how to safely drive in a pursuit to protect the public and ensure we get this dangerous driver off the roadway. As a new officer, I was constantly engaged and listening to you guys um, in these in these pursuits so that when it was my time to be number one, you know, I did it well and I and I did it the way that you guys did safely with regard to the public and successfully. So, you know, we talk about how much these units mean to public safety. And a big part of that is this kind of example that our new officers don't have anymore. Right. You know, our new officers don't get the opportunity to pull up on your scene and watch you do a DWI investigation. Like I did that regularly as a new officer and every DWI I would do after that was better. Um, I rode out with one of your DWI officers because I didn't do as many on FTO as I thought I needed to do to to be competent. Um, Those lost opportunities for new officers are going to have a tangential effect for probably many, many years. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is like those those new officers, so I would make it a point to try, if I saw an officer that was struggling, kind of take them under my wing and teach them, but not in a, not an adversarial way, not in a, not in a, you know, you're in trouble kind of way. Like, look, you need to learn and this is what you need to learn. I miss that a lot. Like one of the things I really miss about being on the unit is going out and teaching new cadets at the academy. You taught me. Yeah, so I I, I miss that. I like really Bob taught a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love to teach at the academy. That was one of my favorite things to do. But also, like I said, I would make sometimes if if I saw an officer on 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 like a crash or something, I saw it was a newer officer. I would go out there and I I would just kind of stand back and watch. And then after the fact, I would just critique them and say, "Look, here's the deal. Here's how you did this. You could have done this better. You could have done you know just." minute things that even in in the grand scheme of things may not seem like a lot, but it helps with courtroom testimony. It helps with position of the vehicle. It helps with, at the end of the day, doing an investigation better from start to finish. And and people would come to me and they knew that I was willing to help them. I would get a message from an FTO. Hey, I have a rookie here that's struggling with DWIs. Can you come help them out? Absolutely. I'd meet them in a parking lot somewhere, and we would just have a one-on-one training session right there in the middle of the parking lot. Let's get you better. And the problem is now we don't have those those experts or those resources of these new officers, and it's a shame because you're going to have a whole, I won't say generation, but a whole group of brand-new officers that don't have those types of resources, and they're not going to be able to do a DB. DWI very well because they don't have anybody to lean on to show them. I think that you're you're spot on. I, and I would use the word generation. the The problem is going going to become at some point, and it's like 
it's DWIs, it's working narcotics at a street level, right? It's, it's working prostitution. Like there's so many different aspects of policing where we have been forced to get away from it because manpower issues, because of defunding, because we don't want y'all to focus on this thing. And one day somebody in power is going to say, Hey, we'd like to turn that back on. And we're going to have to reinvent the wheel because the Bob Mitchells of the world, like if, if the DWA unit came back today, right? The nice thing is we could say, Hey, Bob, you're a corporal. Now you're going back to DWI unit and you could take that knowledge and go impart it on the next group of DWI officers. Absolutely. Right? It, it'd be easy. And, and you have those experts that are still here. But in reality, we know that DWI unit is, by the time, if it ever comes back, yep. we're gone. Yep. Those subject matter, matter experts that were on the unit, we are completely gone. Yep. And now what are they going to have to do? Because yep. when they first brought the DWI unit about, they had to invent the wheel. Yeah. Right? But then when we got really good at what we did, other departments came to our department and learned how to do a DWI unit from scratch for their department. And I, I taught and trained all around the nation. And in our heyday, I would put our unit against any unit in the entire nation and say, we're better than any DWI unit in the entire nation. And I had zero issues with putting that on the line. And that's the type of training experience that you're going to lose because if we ever get units back, the people who ran them, the people who had that knowledge and training experience are going to be gone. So now who do you lean on right. to get that knowledge? It's, how, how many arrests do you think your team made a year? So uh, when we had three teams, we were in the neighborhood of between 3,000 and 3,500 DWI arrests a year. Now, to put that perspective, that's roughly 20 officers making three – 3,000 to 3,500 arrests per year. If you broke that down by the entire APD, we had over half of the DWI arrests for the entire department with 20 officers. So I want to put that in perspective because it's something we haven't really talked about a lot. And I'll make two points on this. One, we can't even count how many lives were potentially saved because you guys were getting drunk drivers off the street. Oh, absolutely. That is unreal. Absolutely. So you guys should always hold your heads high because of that. The downside is our city deserves better because now we don't have people enforcing those DWI laws. And I don't know what the stats are right now on our um, traffic fatalities, but we're going to find out that information soon. So you guys should definitely be proud of the work you did and the countless lives you guys saved. Yeah, there, there were definitely some times where I – that, I mean, I, I know that I saved lives. There's no doubt about it. But there were definitely times, like, after a specific arrest, I would be able to walk away and say, I know I saved someone's life tonight because of this arrest. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, the sad part now is the DWI enforcement that we have now is basically it's it's reactive. It, yeah. it we, we were proactive. We were trying. Our goal was to stop people before they heard or killed somebody. Explain reactive to our public that's listening so the the reactive is the crash cr already the crash happened. has already happened the the injury the fatality has already happened and officers are, are responding after bad stuff has happened whereas when we were proactive we were trying to get those people stopped before the crash ever happened that was our goal if 
granted, now if I'm going to a, a DWI crash, I'm you know I'm, I'm doing my job, I'm doing it well, but I'm I, and in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, could we have gotten this stopped? Could we have prevented this crash from happening? Because that was our goal, you know. But we, we we really thrived on the on the fact that you know we wanted to keep those traffic fatalities down because we knew that a majority of those traffic fatalities were due to intoxication. And we took that as a personal insult. If the traffic fatalities went up, we're doing something wrong. We need to fix what we're doing because they're going up because we're not doing our jobs. We felt they were directly linked, directly correlated. Impairment and speed. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what gets people killed on our, on our highways. And, you know, it's, uh, it's sad. We, we have, uh, you know, this vision zero plan that the city likes to talk about where, you know, we want to see traffic fatalities on our roadways go to zero. And, you know, we spend a lot of time and energy and money on highway design and, you know, on, on roadway design and bike lanes and, and this and that. And, you know, the reality is putting, putting HE 805 out on Mopac, uh, slowed people down. Yeah. You know, putting 5515 out on West 6th street, looking for impaired drivers, um, stopped crashes from happening, stopped yeah. fatalities from happening. You know, what's fascinating. You bring up vision zero and that's such a key issue with the city and they constantly bring it up. Vision zero, vision zero, whether or not that's ever possible. I don't think it is, but it, it seems absurd to me that we are going to install a physical barrier down the middle of the 5200 block of I-35 and however much money that cost in order to prevent a couple people a year trying to cross I-35 right there, as opposed to the massive difference that a well-funded DWI and nighttime highway enforcement unit are able to do, how much good work they're able to do. But the city in turn is going to install barriers on I-35 and convert Barton Springs down to one lane of traffic rather than traffic enforcement. It's, uh, yeah. Thanks, Greg Kassar. Right. Thank you, Badler. <laughs> like it's, <clears throat> it, it, it just makes me crazy. Right. Like, and obviously all, all five of us that are, that are in here right now, like we, we've lived it, we lived through it and, and we're still living it. And, you know, I feel, I feel incredibly bad for the, um, I feel incredibly bad for the, the citizens of Austin who, you know, ultimately this affects the most. Um, so Bob, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to come talk to us. Yeah, thanks. Um, thank you for all the, all the great work that you did when you were on the DWI unit and, and just thanks for giving us your perspective on, uh, on what it was like to be on a unit that got defunded. And, um, yeah, I'd like, I, I would honestly, I, I'd really like to see the silver lining and say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to be around when the DWI unit comes back and it's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it's sad because I, I, I would really like to be a supervisor on that type of unit to where I can not only affect officers out in the street as I did as an officer, but now I can affect the people that directly work for me and say, all right, look, this is how this is supposed to work. This is how we can work really effectively. And this is what you need to do. And from someone who had been in that seat, and now I'm supervising those people. 
it, man, I think it would be so valuable and it's just, it's not going to happen because I'm going to be gone yeah. and, and fishing on the coast yeah. and enjoying my retirement before the DWI unit ever even remotely is a glimmer in the horizon. And, and you deserve that. So, um, thanks again, buddy. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. If you like what you just heard, take a moment, call your council member, email them, book a meeting, let folks know down at city hall, how much the DWI unit means to you, how much it means to the safety of, for you and your family, let them know that the DWI unit needs to come back. Appreciate y'all listening in again. Um, like, like I try to close all of these with, if you have ideas for other episodes, let us know. If you need something from the APA, feel free to reach out, call us, text us, email us. And as always, y'all stay safe.